am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be Dear Lord, let it be. I believe you are praying that as you are singing it. Father, that you have called us into the light. You said, O Lord God, for us to arise and shine because our light has come. Father, how can we shine unless we walk in the light? Father, this is our prayer today that we will walk closer to Thee in the light, O Lord God, as You are in the light. Father, help us today. Draw us closer to Yourself through Your Word in the name of Jesus, so that, O Lord God, the glory of You will rise up over us in the name of Jesus. We thank You, blessed Father, once again for a time such as this, that You have drawn us to Yourself to speak Your Word. Speak Your Word and have Your way in our midst, in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Let's be seated in God's presence. Please greet one or two of your neighbor. Say, I can see your light. I can see your light shining. Tell him, shine brighter. And when I sleep, shine brighter. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, my brother Vipin was sticking this uh, thing on me and I was telling brother, put it here also. <laughs> and it was so that I will not speak, but the Lord will speak. Amen. And so shall it be in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So the Lord has laid in my heart to continue on that series which we were looking at from Bethel to Bethel. And today we will be looking at Threats to fellowship. Threats to fellowship. Earlier we were looking at the call to fellowship. Then we were looking at what the obstacles to fellowship was. All through the example of the life of Jacob. And if you look at the journeys of Jacob. If, let's go back to Genesis 28. Jacob was fleeing from Esau and he was leaving Beersheba to come to Bethel. He was going to Haran, but God intervenes, meets him at Bethel. If you see that, that slide over there, okay, uh, it's not all to scale. I will use the architect's term, none of that is to scale, right? You will see various places over there. You see Bethel, you see Haran, you see Peniel, you see Sukkot, you see Shechem and Bethel. 
It's like a circuit that Jacob is taking. It was a journey where Jacob was going on fleeing. God meets Jacob when he's fleeing from, from Esau. And he's going to Haran. God meets him there. God meets Jacob at Peniel when he is fleeing from Laban. Again, today we will be looking at how God is meeting with Jacob again. And this time also, Jacob is fleeing. He is fleeing from Shechem. Now, in all this, you know, we all have our flights. I'm not talking about the flights that we take to go back home. But there are situations that cause us to be in despair, that cause us to, to want to escape, to want to move away. And in all these pursuits, maybe you are here and you, have been, you are being pursued by someone. You are being pursued for, by some situation. You are being pursued by some distress. But if you see God in each of the flights that Jacob is taking, God is coming over there. You see, when he's fleeing from Esau, God comes and he gives him an assurance that his preservation will be there. Turn with me to Genesis 28, verse 15. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. There is an assurance of God's preservation. What happens when he is fleeing from Laban? We saw that in Genesis 31, verse 24. Genesis 31, verse 24. This time, God is warning Laban, saying, what does he say? But God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. You see, God is intervening over there on the pursuer and saying, Listen, make sure that you do not do anything bad, nor do you say anything good as well. Both. Keep quiet. That was the warning given to Laban. Now, what happens when Jacob is fleeing Shechem? In Genesis 35, verse 5. In Genesis 35, verse 5, this is when Jacob's sons had murdered the men of Shechem and they were, God had called him to come back to Bethel and as they were journeying towards Bethel, the Bible says, the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. That means that the, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, they had the power to pursue, but they didn't have the courage to pursue. They didn't have the courage to pursue. God stopped them short on their tracks with his terror. Not that Jacob's sons were all right with what he had done. Now, when you look at these situations, when all these scenes God is arranging in the life of Jacob, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? It is because 
in the place where you and I are frantic, God wants us to come to fellowship. It might seem very funny over there, right? God, I have this need to attend to. God, this person is behind me. God, I need to do this. God, I need to do that. And God is saying, come. Come and abide in me. Because if you abide in me and I in you, what will happen? All of you are silent. Bible scholars, what does John 15 say? You abide in me and I in you, the same shall bear much fruit. God looks at fruitfulness where we look at frantic, being frantic. God is interested in our fruitfulness in every situation of our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. So in the place where I'm frantic, he is intent to bring me to fellowship. That is the intention of God upon each of us. It is not that God is unaware of what you and I are going through. He is fully aware, but he is able to control, he is able to preserve, and he is able to even hold back the enemy, no matter what rightful claim he has. You and I are so precious in his sight. I thought I'll hear an amen. 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 So continuing with Jacob's journey, let's join him in Genesis 33, verse 17. Genesis 33, verse 17. Now Jacob, if you had seen, he had fled from uh, Laban. He had met Esau. God, he wrestled with God. And, God, and Jacob's walk was changed. And then Jacob comes to a place. There is peace that is made with Esau. And Jacob now comes to a place called Sukkoth. Verse 17. And Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. Now, what is the threat to fellowship in such a kind of place? Remember, Jacob is being called from Shechem, from, uh, from the place of, uh, where he was staying in Haran. God had called Jacob and said, come back to Bethel. Come back to Bethel where you had built an altar to me. Come back. God had called him. But now, on his journey, he suddenly stops in a place called Sukkoth. Now the name, the Bible itself puts over there that its name was because of the booths that he had built. If you look at that verse closely, he had built himself a house and he had built booths for the livestock. So the name of the place could have been even Beth, the house that he built. No. But the Bible describes the place was called booths. How many of us have gone to Turtle Beach? Turtle Beach. Now, some of us will not raise our hands because Brother Kenneth will be looking. Who is going for safari on the weekends? Now, why was the Turtle Beach called Turtle Beach? Why are there no turtles in any other beach? Because there are so many turtles over there that the beach gets its definition by the 
amount of turtles over there. In the same way, this place was defined as Sukkot, not because of one house, because of the amount of booths that Jacob would have built for his livestock. The possessions that he had carried were so much. And also, it could have been that he had to rest a while. Remember, he had a hamstring injury. After wrestling with God, his cattle was tired and he had a further journey to make. So he rested over there. Now, if you see, most often than not in the Bible, during the times of Abraham, during the times of Jacob, livestock was always a threat to fellowship. If you look at uh, Abram and uh, Lot. Let's look at Genesis 13, verse 6. We will not read, I'll read it from, from one portion. It says, For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Abram and Lot had grown, grown so much that they could not come together. There was always the livestock fighting for fodder, and they could not come together. The possessions were so great that their fellowship was threatened. What about Jacob and Esau? Genesis 36, verse 7. Genesis 36, verse 7. Esau moves away from Jacob because, again, the Bible uses the same description, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. Remember, when a place is defined by possessions, it means that there is something significant about it. Now, Jacob was able to move on. Thank God for that grace upon him. The Bible says he moved on. Even if he had built a villa for himself, even if the booths were there, he moved on. How about you and I? What are the possessions that hold us back from fellowship? Are you possessed by your possessions? The Bible says, the children of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Or is it the reverse? Are you possessed by your possessions? God intends that we possess our possessions, not the vice versa. Not be possessed by our possessions. Am I defined by the possessions or the possessor? Let's look at Genesis when Melchizedek meets Abram. What is told of Abram? In Genesis 14, verse 18, verse 19. When Abram has recovered all the possessions, what does Melchizedek tell of Abram? Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. He had the blessing of the possessor. Sometimes we settle ourselves down with the blessing of possessions. Fellowship comes when we have that fellowship with the possessor.
you and I are of Abraham. Amen? Nobody of you are confident, huh? Who is the father of faith? And you and I are descendants of Abraham in Christ Jesus by faith. Amen? Let's move on. What happens to Jacob further? What is a threat to fellowship for Jacob when he moves on? Let's look at Genesis 34 verses 1 and 2. Genesis 34, 1 and 2. How does Shechem become a threat for Jacob? How does it pose a threat to fellowship? I'll read 34, verse 1 and 2. Now Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, he took her, and lay with her and violated her. Sister, you can keep the slides on. Next one. Yes. You can move on to the next one, sister. You see, Dina over there, the Bible says, she went out to see the daughters of Shechem, but then she was seen by the prince of Shechem. Which means that she was going on, hanging around over there for a while, that the prince of Shechem caught her. Or the attention of the prince of Shechem was caught when Dina kept on moving here and there. The fellowship with daughters of Shechem became a disgrace for Dina. And you see, the prince of Shechem devoured her. If I may use that word. The prince of Shechem devoured her. What about you and I? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Can we go to that verse? 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8. If anyone is there before me, you may read. Yes. suffering. Yes. Let's pause there. You see, when Dina was spending so much time in Shechem, a devouring came upon her. If you and I are not sober in our dealings with the world, in our interactions with the world, God has not kept us away from the world. He's not kept us on mountaintops with saints with, with robes. No. God has said that you are the salt and the light. Amen? You are the salt and light. God intends us to be in the world, but not of the world. 
And when those boundaries with the world gets murky, remember, the prince of the world is not a kind guy. He looks to eat you for dinner and for a brunch and for a snack and for anything that he can get of you and me. And if you and I are not careful, it destroys what God has put in you and I. How much does the world allure me to its prince? Daughters of Shechem were able to allure Dina such that the prince of Shechem could capture them, capture her. Remember, the daughters of Shechem did not go into the boundary of Jacob. Had that been the case, it would have been a different story. But here, the daughters of Shechem were drawing Dina into their fellowship and eventually destroyed her. You and I, God has kept us in the world, but unless you and I don't have a sober, vigilant mindset, it can become fatal. John 14, what did our Lord say when he was in the world? John 14. Verse 30. John 14, verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world cannot find a common ground or anything to hold to hold me. He has nothing of him in me. Now, is it possible for a Christian to be influenced by the world? I am saved. Nothing can destroy my salvation. Is that the stance that you and I can take confidently? Let's look at 2 Timothy. There was a guy who was always with Paul, imprisoned, serving him. But when things got tough, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Talks about a person, a brother, called Demas. And Paul is saying of Demas, for Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Demas was with Paul in his missionary journeys. Probably would have been beaten, probably would have been imprisoned. But in the time of temptation, intense temptation, when he looked to the world, 
he felt that his comfort in the world was better. And he said, I'm forsaking all this. It's not worth it. And he departed. The devil is not soft on a believer. Remember. But for you and I to be strengthened, you have to walk in the light. I have to walk in the light. I cannot sit in any other shadow unless I walk with him. I and you cannot escape the snare of the devil. Amen? The Lord shall help us in Jesus' name. If the drawing of Shechem was a problem for, for Jacob, what else did Shechem offer? Let's go back to the slide, sister. Yes, next, next one. Genesis 34, verse 3 and 4. What happens to Shechem, the person, the prince, when he has violated Dina? The Bible is saying something else over there. His soul was strongly attracted to Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor saying, get me this young woman as wife. Get me this young woman as wife. You see, now the prince of Shechem's soul gets attached to Dina, the daughter of Jacob. That word over there is the same word used in Genesis 2.24. Cleaving. A man shall leave his father and mother and run his own house free. Is that what the Bible says? He shall cleave to his wife. You see, God sees husband and wife as one, not two people, as one. Amen, husbands? Wives? Sisters? Amen? Amen. God sees husband and wife as one in the spiritual realm. There is a soul tie that is brought in. And it is in that place that Shechem was operating now. He said, I want her as my wife. Now, what had happened over there was an ungodly soul tie. When Shechem violated Dina, it was an ungodly soul tie over there. There was what the Bible calls as clean, as clear as it is, immorality. There was immorality over there. Now Shechem wanted to legalize it. He said, let's, let's legalize it. But then, God had already called it immorality. Soul ties, when there is a soul tie that is established, it threatens fellowship. It threatens fellowship. And that's why the Bible says, flee immorality. Flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his 
own body. Sins against his own body. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit say, the Holy Spirit say, remember, the Holy Spirit who said, resist the devil, the Holy Spirit who said, fight the good fight of faith. When it comes to sexual immorality, it says, flee. Don't even face. Turn your back and run. Have you imagined why, why the Holy Spirit is saying, Res don't resist? No. Don't even get yourself in any way caught there. And when the Bible is saying, a man who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. If you go to the next verse, what is the significance of that body? The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if your body or my body gets defiled, how can you and I have fellowship with the Spirit of God? How can we even claim the Spirit of God dwells in me. Any form of soul ties, if it is an ungodly soul tie, remember, it makes your body, makes my body defiled. It is a threat to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with us, with me, with you. This is what Shechem was bringing in over there. Ephesians 5, verse 5, not only does it affect our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, it affects our eternal fellowship. Ephesians 5, verse 5, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The desire of Shechem is for establishing a soul tie that takes yours and my fellowship away from God. Ungodly soul ties. Let us be watchful. The Lord shall help us in Jesus' name. Amen. What happens afterwards? If you go down in Genesis 34, verse 9 and 10. Genesis 34, verse 9 and 10, there is an invitation that happens. Hamor comes and invites them, saying, Make marriages with us. Give your daughter to us and take our daughters to yourself, so you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourself. Two more slides down, sister. Yes. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourself. Now, I want us to look a few verses back. Genesis 33, verse 19. When Jacob comes to Shechem, what happens? He pitched his tent before the city. 
The city was before Jacob. He pitches his tent before that. And then he buys the plot of land. Verse 19. And he brought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called El Elohe Israel. Now, Shechem takes the place, sorry, Jacob takes the place and builds a plot outside Shechem. And what is the invitation for them? Now he says, come and dwell in us, with us. Don't remain an outsider, Jacob. Come and dwell with us. Let us trade. Let us have alliances. Which means the soul ties that were already forged, now let's make further alliances so that it will never be broken. So that our fellowship, it's like Hemor is saying, Shechem, I mean, Jacob, let's have this kind of a fellowship where you and I benefit. Now contrast what happens with Abram. If you remember, Abram bought a plot of land. Do you remember? Abram bought a plot of land. The reason was to bury his wife. Right? But Jacob buys a plot of land to establish his life. And that becomes now an alliance point for the people of Shechem to say, you are outside, don't stay outside, come, let's live here. That means the altar that he built did not even have an influence over Shechem. Because if you see the people who were, who were with Abram, when they saw Abram's altar, they called him Abram the Hebrew. He's a separated one. He is not of our kind. He's a different fellow. We cannot keep too much closeness with him. There is something about him that we need to watch our lives before him. But here, Shechem is saying, come, come, come and merge with us. Let us be one. Now, is that how the world is luring the church into? And is that how yours and my life is portrayed? How are our altars before God? Is it an altar of significance where the world knows, no, this one is a separated one. This one, we cannot speak these, these things before him or we cannot do these, these, these dealings with him. Forget it. It's out of question. Or they are saying, no, no, let's try to bring him in. Abram had allies, but they never wanted their identity to be imposed upon him. Jacob, Shechem wanted the identity of Shechem to be imposed on Jacob. From pitching outside to dwelling in, there was another guy who did the same thing. If you remember Lot, Lot pitched outside Sodom, and after a period of time, he had a house in Sodom. 
Remember, the luring of the world is always to settle in. My friends ask, oh, you are settled in Oman? You are settled? And it's very easy for me to say, sorry, cannot settle here. I do not belong here. They do not receive me here. I cannot have a permanent residency here. And I want that to be my testimony throughout my life concerning the world as well. I hope you will say an amen, amen. for me. Thank you. Moving on. What happens to Shechem next? There was a destruction of Shechem that happened. Genesis 34, verse 24. Now, moving on, fast forward. What happens is uh, they want to, uh, to Shechem to marry Dina. So Jacob's brothers, they put up a plan and they say, listen, let us... Uh, uh, if you want uh, Dina to marry Shechem, Shechem has to be circumcised. Now, there was a decoy over there. Look at Genesis 34, verse 23. Genesis 34, verse 23. When the call that we should all be circumcised came, Hamor says to the people of Shechem something. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. Which means to say, they had an eye on all the livestock that Jacob had. Remember, it was not small. A city was named after the livestock. Right? And these guys said, listen, if they become one with us, all we need to do is get ourselves circumcised and then we can possess all that they have. They did not understand what circumcision actually meant. Now, let us understand what it actually meant. We are studying that in Galatians, right? It was a circumcision for them that led to their destruction. Romans 4, verse 11. Sister, next slide. The next one. Romans 4, 11. The Bible says of circumcision, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith. What does the Bible say? Circumcision as a seal of righteousness, a symbol to say that he has been right with me. It's talking about Abraham while he was still uncircumcised. Now here, the sign of circumcision for Israel was to confirm their inheritance. It is to, to be assured that the Israelite had his inheritance in the land. But what did Shechem misappropriate it for? They misappropriated it for their earthly gains. 
the outward circumcision for them did not have any inward consequence. He said, let's just do this as a task and we get all that they have. What about you and I? How do we deal with our salvation? How do we deal with repentance? Is it the same way how Shechem dealt with circumcision? Treat it superficially without having an inward change. If you remember, Let's look at Matthew 3, verse 8. When John is calling people to repentance, there is a set of people who come. Right? And John asked them, did you come from the zoo? Because he says, brood of vipers. Who warned you from the wrath that is to come? In verse 8, I'll read it from the New Living Translation. He said, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by your life that your repentance is real. Let it not just be an outward confession. Lord, I repent of my sins. And then I go back to the same thing. An outward repentance without inward consequence, it is fatal. Because unless there is an inward repentance, there is no ground for fellowship with God. God cannot fellowship with an unrepentant heart. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, you see how God who dwells on the most high place, how does he come to fellowship? Sorry, Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is God speaking, and he says... I dwell in the high and holy place. Which means God is in the highest of high heavens in a separated place. But then look at the next part. With him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. 
to revive the heart of one who is repentant, God is saying, even if I dwell in a high and holy place, I dwell in the heart of one who has an inward repentance. When our repentance is superficial, God does not come and commune. It is a threat to fellowship. Lastly, what happens? There is a deposit of Shechem. There is a deposit of Shechem that comes into Israel. Genesis 34, 28 and 29. This is the sons of Jacob plundering the city and what happens? They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city, what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, all their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Now, if you remember, when Jacob comes to, comes to Bethel, he asks his people to to bring all their household idols, not household idols, bring all the foreign gods. Bring all the foreign gods. He said, you bring all your foreign gods. Uh, let's go to that verse. Genesis 35. Genesis 35, verse 2. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your garments. And look at verse 4. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. Now, how did they get all this? When they came from Haran, remember, Rachel had carried only the household idols of Laban. And they were small. The Bible says she was sitting under it. It was not even as big as a car or something. It was a small one. right? But here, these guys have it all over them. They have it in their hands, they have it as earrings, and there is so many things that has come in that they are burying it under a tree. Now, with the plunder that they did in Shechem came all the foreign gods of Shechem into the household of Israel. And as a result, they became repulsive to God. How does idolatry become repulsive to God? Look at, Genesis, at Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. Joshua chapter 7. Verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. 
Now, if you go further down in verse 12, verse 11 onwards I will read, Israel has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they have put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but they turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Look at the next part. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. God said, I cannot fellowship if you have idols in your midst. They not only became obnoxious to God, they also became obnoxious to the people of Shechem, for the people of Canaan. If you look at what, what Jacob says in Genesis 34, verse 30. Genesis 34, verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. You have made me repulsive among the inhabitants of the land. Why? Because you have taken their plunder. You are saying you are Israel, but you are carrying all that around for the world to see. Imagine a guy of Canaan sees that Jacob's son is wearing an earring which he had killed and taken from a descendant of Shechem, from a male of Shechem, and he's carrying his wife, he's carrying his goats, he's carrying all his stuff and going. The plunder of the world, he's carrying along. And what does the world say? Is this guy from Israel or is he one among us? We are not able to understand. He becomes repulsive. Idolatry corrupted their identity. Idolatry corrupted their identity. Now, how can we overcome? You see the threat of the world that comes, the identity that the world can impose upon us. How can you and I overcome? Let's, let's look at the last slide. Sister, move forward, please. How do I overcome? Do not dwell on your possessions. Psalm 62, verse 10. The Bible says, If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. See, it was natural for Abraham, for Lot, for Jacob, for Esau to grow, their possessions to grow. It is natural. God intends us for growth. But the Bible says, do not set your heart upon them. Do not set your heart upon them. When, when Abram and Lot grew, there was something that happened over there. They had to select a land. One guy lifted his eyes seeing Sodom. That was Lot. And he settled there. Another guy, Abram, waited for the voice of the Lord. To say, lift your eyes and now see. Set your heart on God and wait for his voice. 
so that you and I can handle our possessions and possess our possessions and not be possessed by our possessions. Second, be a Demetrius instead of a Demas. John, 3rd John 12, it talks about Demetrius. It says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. Demetrius, the Bible is saying, even the word of God testifies of Demetrius. You and I are called to witness Christ. Right? Amen? He has called us to witness Christ. What does Christ witness of you? What does Christ witness of me? Here, the word of Christ was witnessing of Demetrius saying, this guy has gone into the world, but he is living a life that aligns with the word. Do you and I have a good testimony? Does the word of God testify of my life, of your life, as right before its standards? Be a Demetrius. Let the word of God give a good witness of our lives. Third, live a crucified life. We've studied this in Galatians, verse 24 of chapter 5. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Passions and desires is what the enemy uses to bridge soul ties, to bring soul ties and destroy our fellowship with God. And the Bible is saying, those who are of Christ have crucified their flesh. Those who belong to Christ. If you know you belong to Christ, you will crucify your desires. You know why? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. A crucified life unlocks the power of God. When you and I realize our weaknesses and surrender that before God, God's strength comes upon us. Remember the promise of the week last week? Fear not, you worm, Jacob, unless you and I realize who we are in comparison with the power of God, you and I cannot receive the power of God. A power, the power of God comes from a crucified life. Come to the cross, surrender, and renounce every soul tie. How else can I overcome every threat to fellowship? Seek to abide in Him. John 15, verse 7. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and if my word abides in you, you will ask all what you desire and it shall be given. Which means his word will start regulating yours and my asking when we abide in him and his word abides. 
Shechem wanted Jacob to abide with them. God is saying, abide in me and let my word abide in you. Then, how else? Consider the goodness of God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. You and I cannot naturally repent. Right? We think of our own, we are good. This part is right, that part is right. Only this is... There is some issue with me with this aspect. Sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I do this. All that is okay. But the Bible is saying, when you consider the goodness of God, it leads you to repentance. Romans 2 verse 4, Do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? When you start observing the goodness of God, how good He has been to you and to me. That a sinner like me, if He came down to die for me, what goodness He has shown towards me. Then when we look inward, we will know there are many things that I need to turn away from and to Him. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. First John 5, verse 21. John ends his first epistle saying, Little children, keep away from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. That is what he ends that epistle with. Idols, unless and until you and I examine our heart, it cannot be exposed. Let us examine our hearts before the cross. Amen. I want us to just rise up and sing this hymn. Next slide, sister. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, every burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I believe as you have been listening to the message this morning, God has spoken to you. The question I want you to ask yourself, what is the threat that you have noticed as you have been hearing the message this morning? What are those threats that is not allowing you to fellowship as you should be? Brother, I've elaborate more on it. How do I overcome the threat? I hope you believe you have grabbed one or two points there that will guide you. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebooking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Listen to verse 17. So that the servant of God 
may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that is the purpose of today's message. To equip you to know those areas that are threat to your life. I want you to pray and tell God, Lord, equip me with your word. Let me be deeply rooted in your word. When you are deeply rooted in the word of God, you'll be able to discern those threats that will not allow you to be count-worthy in the presence of God. Those threats that will not allow you to fellowship along with God. Those threats that will not allow you to return to your own better. Tell God, Lord, let me be deeply rooted in your word. Speak your word into my mind. Speak your word into my heart. Let it be boldly written there so that day and night I continue to dwell in your word. Father, we want to thank you. We want to give you glory for your word that we have heard today. Father, all that we have heard from your servant, we pray, almighty God, that they shall be established firmly in our heart in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray everything we have heard today, that God almighty, we continue to write it firmly in our heart in the mighty name of Jesus. The spirit that continue to remind us about everything that we have heard, that Lord will grant us in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to continuously fellowship with you. We want to fellowship with brethren. Father, we pray, Almighty God, that your word that will teach us to deeply rooted in your word, you will teach us in the mighty name of Jesus. You will establish it in our heart in Jesus' name. We pray for your servant that you have used for all this day. More anointing in the mighty name of Jesus. Bless the source of his, the wisdom you have granted him. And that source of wisdom shall never dry up in the mighty name of Jesus. We have heard from you today. We shall continue to hear from you in the mighty name of Jesus. May God bless you. Bless the work of your hand. Bless sister. Bless the children. Bless everything that surrounds you in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray for you, each and every one of you, that God Almighty who has brought you here today shall never depart from you in the mighty name of Jesus. And as the year is coming to an end, that purpose of God for you in life shall be fulfilled in Jesus' name. Thank you, everlasting Father. We remember the excellent men program for tomorrow morning. Father, take control in Jesus' name. Women ministry program later in the evening. Father, take charge in the mighty name of Jesus. And for the rest of the year, our program, all are in your hand. The children, they started practicing. Father, we pray, almighty God, that you will be with them in Jesus' name. Thank you, everlasting Father. As we go to our various homes, Father, go ahead of us in Jesus' name. We are going with testimony. We shall return with testimony next week in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, everlasting Father. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Let's share the grace together in fellowship. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I observed that many of you, you started sending your group to me. I will go through it. First, first come, first serve. We still follow. God bless you.